tonight we're looking at creation. God is creator. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, and I think to do that, we probably need to uh, talk about a few of the worldviews that are, are communicated, held to, uh, that we see at school, university, in the media, uh, about how the world, how the universe, and how life came into being. And so we're going to do that, but uh, what we're not going to do, I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you super clever arguments so you can argue everyone into the kingdom of God. Uh, I have found that there's always cleverer arguments to a clever argument. So it's not really what this is about. But if I can give you, as a Christian, confidence that you don't need to sort of shrink back when people are talking about science, that somehow you've got faith and someone else has got science and uh, therefore you've got to be a little bit apologetic and, yeah, I don't really understand it all, but I've got faith. No, you don't have to do that. Uh, also, maybe if you're grappling with Jesus and God and, and about relationship with Him, but this is a stumbling block because you're wondering, how can I come into relationship with Jesus when that's in the Bible and the Bible calls God a creator and science has told me it all just happened. Well, maybe I can assist you with a few of these thoughts tonight that maybe it's not the stumbling block you think it is and that we can pull those sort of things out of the way. Um, I would love it if after tonight you're just feeling confident enough that perhaps you could go and talk to a friend um, respectfully and say, you know, that stuff we've been talking about, well, here's a few other things that we could discuss and um, check out some of these things. So why don't we pray and we will get into it. Father, we give you this time and we ask that by your spirit you would speak to us and that, Father, what we, uh, what we don't understand, that we will grow to understand it and that this would be not just knowledge but revelation to every person here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning. What we're going to look here, just to, to start it off, is a bit of a framework. Two worldviews about how this universe and life came into being. The first one is a biblical worldview. And there it is, summarized, Genesis 1, 1. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Bam, there it is. In the beginning, before there was anything, it is saying that there was God. So God exists outside of time and outside of creation. He just is. This verse doesn't try to prove God. It assumes God. And it says that God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, all that there is. Now, there's some pretty amazing implications of that worldview or that cosmology, that God did it. And one of the implications of that is the value that you and I have. Just a little bit further in the chapter, go down to verse 27. It says, so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Check that out. You and I have been made not just to be another part of creation, but to be like Him. That there's stuff in us 
that's like the Creator. Our capacity to love and be loved like Him. To conceive of things that are not and to bring into existence things that, that we conceive of and create like Him. To appreciate beauty and things of aesthetic value. Uh, to have a sense of humor. To sacrifice. To conceive of the abstract and the spiritual things that in you and I are like Him. Amazing. In fact, Psalms put it this way, Psalm 139, verse 13, 14, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Isn't that awesome? I heard Pastor Phil put it this way once. God didn't have one of you, and he wanted one of you, so he made one of you. You see, in this biblical worldview that God created and that we're made in his image, that means regardless of what you do, regardless of your quality of life, your family dysfunction, what people might say about your value, regardless of all of that, you inherently have value. You inherently have purpose. Because in the worldview that God created you to be like Him and to know Him, we have been created to carry purpose and value. But that's not the predominant worldview of the world in which we live. It's not the predominant worldview that you learn in science at high school. Indeed, that I was surrounded by for seven plus years at university as I studied environmental science. It's not the predominant worldview when you watch a nature show on television or when you see something in the media. The predominant worldview is this one, that God was not in the picture and everything just happened. So you could say it's something like this. In the beginning, the particles came from nothing. And the particles became complex living stuff. And the living stuff became aware and the living stuff conceived of God. In other words, the idea of God is a construct of people. Um, if, if you're an angry atheist, you'll say it's a horrible construct and you will rail against it. If you're a kind sociologist, you will say, well, you're deluded, but it's kind of good for you, so you've got your faith and that's nice. But that's the worldview of pretty well the institutions around us in our society. Uh, this worldview does not give you inherent value, ladies and gentlemen, because in this worldview, you and I are carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and a few trace elements, and when we die, that's what we will be, and that's it. About as much value or purpose as we can have is that maybe we're part of a species that survives into the future. Don't know about you, but that doesn't do it for me. So, people look at this and they call it, and I, and I just don't think it's helpful at all, faith versus science. Who's heard that? Okay, you've got your faith, but I've got science. You've got this feeling sort of stuff, and that's nice. I've got objective science. But is it science? Because I studied science for, I love science. I, I just think it's amazing. I, I 
I watch scientific shows on television. Is this, my son Tyler is over there. Is this true? I'm into it, yeah. It's true. He nodded in a sense. It is true. So, so I'm into it. But science is when you observe, you make observations of the world around you or some part of it. And you form hypotheses about that observation. And then you test your hypotheses with experimentation. And then if you've written up your experiment well, other people can do the same one and check out whether you got it right. Now, you can't do any of that with regard to the beginning. You and I can't go back to when the world began and observe it. We can't go to when life began. All we can do is look at the evidence that's around us. There was some pretty cool evidence out there this evening, wasn't there? Did you see the moon? So someone might look at that and go, look at that. God's awesome. Someone else, depending on their worldview, might say, look at that. The Big Bang is extraordinary. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that to, to make fun of anyone, but just to say this is not faith versus science. They are two faith positions. Now, I have here a book I really like, A Complete History of Just About Everything by Bill Bryce. Has anyone read this? I don't see that hand. Okay, no one's read it. Let me read for you Bill Bryson when he talks about the Big Bang. So his chapter, How to Build a Universe. So I'm just going to read it for you. I'll give you a, you know, I can't help being a Bible college, a, a, a college uh, principal. I want you to have a think while I'm doing this. I want you to think about what is Bill Bryson's worldview. God did it or it just happened? Okay. A proton, a proton is an infinitesimal part of an atom, which is itself, of course, an insubstantial thing. Protons are so small that a little dib of ink, like the dot on this eye, so imagine a little eye on the page here with a dot on it, can hold something in the region of 500,000 million of them, or rather more than the number of seconds it takes to make a half a million years. So protons are exceedingly microscopic, to say the very least. Now, imagine if you can, and of course you can't, shrinking one of these protons down to a billionth of its normal size. Making one of these protons, sorry, down to a space so small that it would make a proton look enormous. Now, pack into that tiny, tiny space about an ounce of matter. Excellent. You are now ready to start a universe. I'm assuming, of course that you wish to build an inflationary universe. If you'd prefer to build a more old-fashioned, standard Big Bang universe, you'll need additional materials. In fact, you'll need to gather up everything that there is, every last mote and particle of matter between here and the edge of creation and squeeze it into a spot so infinitesimally compact that it's got no dimensions at all. It's known as a singularity. In either case, get ready for a really big bang. Naturally, you will wish to retire to a safe place to observe the spectacle. Unfortunately, there is nowhere to retire because outside of the singularity, there is nowhere. When the universe begins to expand, it won't be spreading out to fill a larger emptiness. The only space that exists is the space that it creates as it goes. 
in a natural, it is natural but wrong to visualize the singularity as a kind of pregnant dot hanging in a dark, boundless void. But there is no space, no darkness. The singularity has no around around it. There is no space for it to occupy, no place for it to be. We can't even ask how long it has been there, whether it's just lately popped into being like a good idea or whether it's been there forever, quietly awaiting the right moment. Time doesn't exist. There's no past for it, for, for it to emerge from. And so from nothing, our universe begins. I love that. Wow. From nothing, no matter, no time, no space, there's nothing. It doesn't have any dimensions. You can't measure it. There's nothing. And from nothing comes everything. Now, I listen to that and I go, God, you blow my mind. That's extraordinary. What do you think Bill Bryson does? He goes, isn't it amazing how it just happened? So same thing. I put it to you, though, two positions of faith. I believe, even though I was not there, that the creator that I know created it all. Bill believes that nothing created everything from nothing. It's a faith position, ladies and gentlemen. So, why don't we, for a moment, have a look at the main account that is around us, which is Darwinian evolution. You might remember a little bit of this from school. It is an atheistic view in that it takes the need for God out of the picture in its estimation. Uh, it's the prevailing worldview in the Western world, in media, entertainment, all those things I mentioned before. 2009 was the International Year of Darwin, 200 years since his birth and 150 years since he published On the Origin of Species. Now, it goes along with the Big Bang Theory. So Darwin, his theory focuses on life and how life came into being and how we got all the life around us. But if you're holding on to Darwinian evolution, you'll also say the Big Bang happened. At the moment, we're saying 13 billion years ago. When I was at school, it was 6 billion years ago. And it keeps getting ever longer because of the time required for everything to happen. Now, sort of briefly, there was the Big Bang. The universe expands out from that. You've got planets. You've got solar systems. You've got stars and suns and asteroids and and on one of those planets, it was surrounded by uh, chemicals, a soup of chemicals that uh, were zapped by lightning. And those chemicals over time became longer and more complex. They went from inorganic to organic. And over time, they became incredibly complex chemicals. Things like amino acids. Who's heard of them? Yep. They gathered together to become things like proteins. We've heard of those. And those proteins gathered together to become the first simple cells. And that the first cell, because it is so unlikely this happened, Darwinian evolution says it happened once and everything came from that. Um, just go to the next slide. Uh, it all goes, so it all went from the first life form. Life evolves from simple to complex, like from a single cell to multiple cells to big complex characters like you and I. And uh, is there, yeah, that's the one. Who's seen that tree? 
right? The tree of life. So starting at the bottom, single cell, and then uh, as evolution goes on, then it becomes more and more complicated. And the, the last bit on that evolutionary tree is the evolution of people uh, coming from apes. So we've all seen that stuff. Evolution holds that over a long period of time, things evolved through a process of mutations. I'm kind of ringing a bell here, aren't I? Yeah. Mutations, which is when something goes wrong with copying the DNA, right? A mutation, but if you've got a long enough time, what you're saying with evolution is some of those mutations don't kill the organism or set it back. It's actually a positive mutation and gives them a an edge to survive and reproduce. And that little by little, over millions of years, small changes survive and reproduce, small changes survive and reproduce, little by little, over millions and millions of years, you'll get a change from one species to another. Okay. Evolution 1A1, extremely quick, I know. Three problems. There are many scientific problems with Darwinian evolution. I'll just give you three. I'll mention the first two and spend a bit more time on the third, the fossil record. So, if Darwinian evolution, you get small changes over time. So there's a mutation. It bestows a benefit. You get a small change. That change makes them survive and reproduce. Their offspring survive and reproduce. Small change over a long time. Little by little, changing from this species to this species. Now, what would you expect to find in the fossil record? Surely, if the change from this to this is not bam, but happening over millions and millions of years, surely the fossil record should have some of these and some of these. But it's not like it was only a few weeks when you had these guys. There was millions of years. Surely there should be a whole lot of fossils of the intermediate forms. Indeed, Charles Darwin says, if my theory be true, numberless intermediate varieties linking close together, all the species of the same group must surely have existed. So we've been looking for 180 years. In this old book written in 1980, uh, why, why don't I just quickly quote for you from this old book written in 1980. It's quoting for you out of uh, Newsweek magazine. Who knows Newsweek? Right. So Newsweek, 3rd of the 11th, 1980. At an historic conference in Chicago, 160 of the world's leading evolution experts faced the facts of the fossil record and virtually pronounced the death of Darwinism. The experts admitted that 120 years of digging up the fossil record has shown that there are no fossil links between one species and another. Newsweek further states, the missing link between man and the apes is merely the most glamorous of a whole hierarchy of phantom creatures. In the fossil record, missing links are the rule. The more scientists have searched for the transitional forms that lie between species, the more they have been frustrated. Newsweek further stated, Evidence from the fossil record now points overwhelmingly away from classical Darwinism learnt in high school. It goes on. The reason I pull out an old book 
since this was written, they've been looking for another 33 years. I've been watching. Have they found the intermediate forms? No, they're not there. That's a problem. Second problem, mutations. What is happening with the mutation? A mutation is when something goes wrong with the copying of the code. Right? We all know what the code chemical is. DNA, right? right? So when something goes wrong with the code, then the code, which codes for all the things of what an organism is like, uh, size, shape, uh, hair, no hair, uh, eye color, uh, you know, all sorts of things. If something goes wrong, then that organism uh, doesn't become more complex, but actually ceases to function. But here's the problem for Darwinism. Darwinism requires mutations and error to be the mechanism by which a single cell, way back in the the beginning of the process became more and more complex to get creatures like you and I. That errors actually introduced information. When what we find is that mutation errors actually take away information and create randomness or chaos. It's a problem. Now, lack of time, I could go into that more, but I really do want to spend some time on this final one. And that is the problem that there is just evidence of a designer everywhere. Evidence of design in all things. Um, who's um, ever seen a, a documentary? You've got people in one of those uh, amazing uh, radio telescope places where they're listening uh, for, for patterns from outer space. And they're just listening. For, and, and, and what they're listening to is noise, randomness. But they know that if they ever get a pattern, if there's a pattern, then a pattern says intelligence, right? That's what they're listening for. A pattern says intelligence. But they're just getting noise, and, but they're hoping that maybe there's some intelligence out there that will give them a pattern. With life, it is all patterns. And yet the Darwinian worldview says, look at the pattern. It just happened. When other scientists are saying a pattern means intelligence. So, intelligent design is a bunch of scientists. Some of them have relationships with Jesus, some don't. But they are scientists that look at the evidence and have said the evidence points to a designer. And one of the concepts that they've introduced about the evidence pointing towards a designer is this concept of irreducible complexity. This is really cool. Who's heard of irreducible complexity before? Anyone who's been in one of my Genesis classes before should put their hand up right now. Fantastic. <laughs> Buyers heard of that. And Mrs. B. All right. So, irreducible complexity is when, have I, I, what have I got there? Something that cannot be explained through the gradual addition of small changes over time, each one of which bestows a benefit for survival and reproduction. Right, so is there something in a living thing that is only functional when you've got the full thing? You can't explain it by little by little by little by little. It only works and provides function and benefit if you've got the full deal. The thing is, the probability of it happening as a full deal 
is so unlikely that nobody would ever in their wildest imagine think that just randomly it would pop out. So what would be an example of that? So I was shaving this morning. And uh, if I was shaving, I got a bit excited, a bit late for uh, college, and, I'm, and I go a bit hurry, and I cut myself, and I, ooh, I get a little bit of tissue, stick that on there. Now, what's going to happen? As I run from the house, is that tissue going to disappear down the stairs in a flow of blood which will follow me all the way to college? Of course not. It's going to clot. We've all seen it. It gets a bit gluggy and stops, right? Human blood clotting factor is extraordinary. You should check it out one day, especially if you're finding it a little hard to sleep. It's uh, a... it's re- the reason I say it's really complicated and hard to understand. But what happens is when the, the, the blood vessel is, is contacting uh, something it shouldn't, little platelets go and start clogging it up, and this stuff like sticky string, fibrin, all this sticky string comes and clags it up. Now, to get the sticky string, you need 13 proteins. Each protein is made up of amino acids. And each protein is made up of between, say, 150 and 500 amino acids all in a line. For the protein to work, the order's got to be perfect. One amino acid out of line isn't going to work. So of those 13 proteins, if you've got one of them, unbelievably complicated chemical, is that going to cause a little bit of clagging of the blood? give you a benefit. No, doesn't change a thing. What about five of the proteins? No, no difference. What about 10? Mm -mm. What about 12 of the 13 proteins? Will it bestow on you any benefit at all? None whatsoever. You've got to have all 13. It is irreducibly complex. It only bestows a benefit when it is fully together. But there is no way you can explain that benefit by little by little by little over time. It had to have happened. It is pointing towards a designer. One of my favorite pointers towards a designer. Now, you might be thinking, Pat, that's really cool. Is there anything else in in living things which is irreducibly complex? Yes, everything. Yes. But let me just give you one example that's pretty cool. This is the bombardier beetle, one of my favorites. The bombardier beetle... is 1.25 centimeters long. But it's got a very mighty weapon. When an enemy is closing in behind him and just about ready to eat him, an explosion occurs right in the face of the enemy with a very bad-smelling gas that shoots out from two tail tubes the temperature of boiling water. Now, how did it do that? It was studied by two German chemists who discovered that it has two chemicals in its body. Go the Germans. It's got hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone. When mixed together, you get an explosion. Now, how can he carry these two chemicals around without exploding? Well, he carries a third chemical called an inhibitor. The two chemicals are mixed with the inhibitor and stored in two chambers in the body until needed. Then, when a predator approaches, the beetle squirts the two liquids together and adds a fourth chemical, an anti-inhibitor. Then the resulting action is, boom, hot, irritating, foul-smelling gas, blown right into the face of the predator. Now, the fact that it can do that is a marvel, but even more interesting 
is how it could have evolved that feet. Imagine hundreds of millions of years ago, this beetle evolves from something and contains in its body all of these chemicals. Now comes along something wanting to eat it, a predator. Keep in mind it's the first of its kind to have evolved this gift. It has to figure out how much hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone to mix with the inhibitor, how much of everything to mix with the anti-inhibitor, and what moment to do so. Keep in mind that if it doesn't get it right the first time, boom, there goes the family tree, along with any future descendants. Now, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, irreducibly complex, but a creator an intelligent designer can explain how something which is irreducibly complex comes along. Now, I'm going to finish. I see my time is done. So I'm going to finish with a movie. Um, just, just actually, can we just show that shot of the cell or have we gone beyond retrieval? Can we bring it back? Bring it there. All right. Who... Who, who can remember at school looking down a light microscope at a cell? All right. They're blobby little things, aren't they? They sort of look a bit ancient, blobby, sort of you can imagine an amoeba zipping around, the bit in the middle. Well, it doesn't look too complex. We know it's a nucleus. The bit around it, yeah, a little bit ancient and blobby, cytoplasm. When we had light microscopes, we didn't really realize just how extraordinary this, the, the building block of life. This is as simple as it gets, ladies and gentlemen. One cell is as simple as it gets. So let's just for a few moments, I'm going to show you something that Harvard University have produced, and it's looking at a white blood cell zipping along a blood vessel and then going outside the blood vessel to go and deal with uh, some sort of infection. And it shows you what's happening inside that cell as it deals with the infection. So... Let's check this out. Hello. Romans 1.20 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Psalm 8, 3-5 says this, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have put in place, what is man you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You know, just as we finish, I wonder if I could just ask everyone just for a moment to consider that last scripture. When we consider the heavens, what a people what a people that God is mindful of them. Well, this is what the Bible says people are like. People are made in the image of God with the purpose of knowing Him. He made us that we might be in relationship with Him. But here's the deal. We can't because of sin unless He made a way that we might know Him. And that's what it's all about with Jesus Christ coming to this world and dying. Where there was no way we could know our maker, Jesus came and took the penalty for our sins upon himself so that we might know him. So just as we finish this evening, I wonder if I could just ask everybody here, if you just for a moment close your eyes. The reason I'm asking you to do that, 
it just sort of puts distractions aside and helps us just to open our hearts to perhaps hear something that God might be saying to us. And I wonder if you're here tonight, perhaps a friend asked you to come along and this guy Pat's talking and he's talking about creation and evolution and stuff and, and you've come along and you found that all interesting and, and, and maybe some of these things were in the way. And perhaps you're thinking now, it doesn't need to be in the way. Or the fact that I've said that you can have a relationship with God, that that's brand new to you. And tonight you can feel it's like you've come to this place expecting one thing, but something else is going on. And what's going on is that in your heart, you're feeling, hey, God's, God's knocking on my heart. He's wanting to know me. And tonight, and tonight I can respond to that. So if that's you tonight, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Well, just while everybody's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed, I want you to do something really courageous. This is what a complete change of life knowing God takes, a courageous move where you put your hand up and say, Pat, I want you to pray for me. Or even if you once knew Jesus, but you're thinking, I need to come back to my Creator. He made me to know Him. Well, I want to be in relationship with Him again. And tonight you're saying, I want to come back. If that's you, either for the first time or you're saying you're coming back, I want you to be really brave and just stick your hand up in the air right now so that I'll see that, I'll acknowledge it, and I'll pray with you. And then you can come into relationship with God. You know, you might be thinking, is that me? I just came to listen to this tonight. I wasn't counting on anyone praying for me. Or I feel a bit embarrassed if I put my hand up. This is not something to be embarrassed about. In fact, this is the most important thing you could do. So if that's you, maybe your heart's beating a little bit. You're thinking, I wonder if that's me. Well, if your heart's beating and you're wondering if that's me, yeah, it is. <laughs> so if that's you, just whack your hand up and I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God. I wonder if I could just have everyone look this way. You know, just as I finish, before I hand over to Byers, that's right, I'm handing over to Byers. Um, I wonder if you would want to respond to this message and that our response could be something like that we would glorify God as creator and we would make that creator known to others. You know, this stuff that I told you tonight, um, it's not so you can outsmart anyone, but maybe it can create a doorway for discussion. Maybe... It can remove an obstacle so that you can reveal Jesus whom you know to someone else. And if you're thinking that you'd like to do that, why don't we just, while our eyes are closed, just lift our hands. Say, God, we're responding to this. In fact, why don't we stand? I think you can't do this sitting. You've got to stand. You've got to stand before the Creator with hands lifted. Creator God, we lift our hands to you tonight. We are in awe of you. We declare it tonight. And God, as for us, we will not give glory for creation to some process of random chance, but we will always give glory of creation to you. You blow our minds, God. Your ways are above our ways. We can never hope to understand how extraordinary you are, Creator God. But tonight we ask that you would help us to always give glory to you for creation. And that, Father, as far as we can, 
filled with the Holy Ghost that we can remove obstacles that might come between someone knowing you because of the worldview that they've heard at school and uni and heard on the television that they've accepted as being a stumbling block towards knowing you. God, anoint us that with humility and respect as we love people, that we would be able to bring with wisdom the removal of some of those stumbling blocks and lead people to know the God who didn't just create them but wants to know them and walk with them. God, we think you're awesome and we give you worship and honor and praise. And if you agree with that, why don't we right now just clap our hands and lift our voices and give glory to the Creator. Come on. God, you're awesome. God, we worship you. God, we praise your name. God, you're amazing. You're extraordinary. We worship you tonight. We worship you.